Report. I'm your host, Rip Griffin. You can follow me on Twitter at Rip Griffin3. You can follow the Texas Baseball Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Texas Baseball Report. Today, we are talking all things Texas Rangers baseball. They are on an absolute tear right now, leading the AL West. And joining me, former big leader, current host of Loud Outs on Sirius XM, CJ Nikowski. CJ, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk Rangers baseball with me. Yeah, Rip, my pleasure, man. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited to talk about Rangers baseball because this is a team that we have watched grow over the last few seasons, get better front office owners. They are, they are all in on the Rangers wanting to get better. And it is absolutely fun to watch because this team is just absolutely raking, in my opinion. And I think they are on a fast track to uh, – postseason greatness and i don't want to jinx them right now because i have a history of jinxing teams and jinxing players i was uh did a college world series preview or super regional preview and talked about dylan camel from the university of texas going on a 38 game hit streak and what does he do he goes oh four in the in the first two games of the series so hopefully i don't jinx the rangers going forward now after this episode but you know nonetheless we're gonna talk rangers baseball today so but before we get into that i want to kind of touch on your career um 13 year veteran correct well i guess it all depends on how you look at it so parts of 10 seasons in the big leagues i was fortunate to play the game professionally for 19 years um and just bounced all over the place so a lot of teams a lot of places a lot of experience and through my last pitch when i was 39 years old in the dominican republic in january of of 2013 i was hoping uh, to get to one more spring training and pitch professionally as a 40 year old it didn't happen uh, but i'm grateful for the career i had even though I certainly didn't reach any level of, of stardom. I hung in there for a long time, uh, got some great experiences along the way, and, and it set me up for what I'm doing now, which is my second love in broadcasting. That's fantastic. Broadcasting is always fun, especially when, we, when you get to talk about the game of baseball that we all love so much. But I want to ask you this. What is the difference between playing baseball here in the United States and then playing baseball overseas like in Japan? Yeah, so they're all different, quite honestly, whether it's Japan, Korea, or even the time that I spent in the uh, Dominican. Every country gives you a little bit of a different brand of baseball. I think baseball fans have been fortunate to get a little bit of a feel with the WBC and to see how not only they play the game, but how their fans kind of watch the game and how those things different uh, differ Excuse me, from country to country. So it was uh, a little bit of a culture shock. I, I tell people all the time I was kind of internationally ignorant before I headed over uh, to play in Asia, and I'm just so grateful. So I, I, I was a little bit hesitant, um, but loved every minute of it. I mean, it was such an incredible experience to see that side of the world, uh, but yet at the same time, there's so many similarities because they love the game the way that we love the game, but play it differently. And uh, Japan in particular, a little bit more of a, a contact small ball kind of style of baseball, not a ton of power necessarily. There's some couple of good power hitters that have come out of there and we're seeing it more and more. And that's changed. I mean, I haven't been there. I played there in 07 and 08. So it's been a while. Um, and certainly they have evolved, but really talented baseball players over there. Uh, the culture was really cool. Uh, my kids went to school over there for a little while, which is a great experience for my two oldest when they were very young. Uh, and then after two years in Japan, doing two years in Korea, a lot of differences there. I tell people all the time, my experiences at least were that, you know, Korea was somewhat similar to an American style of baseball, even though they hadn't been playing as long as they have in Japan. And it's a smaller country, uh, very aggressive style of play. Most of the ballparks are outdoors. And so the fields have a more similar feel compared to the domes and the turf that you see in Japan. But each was unique. Each was special. Uh, but all three of the places, including the time in winter ball in Dominican Republic, have you know, left a really great impact on my life, quite honestly. And it's helped me in what I'm doing now. Uh, post-baseball playing career. 
that's great to hear because you can see all of the the differences in as far as the different leagues in in, in japan korea even in the, in the dominican and those guys i mean they have absolutely so much fun and it's great to see it and we're seeing it carry over into into major league baseball as well which is which is fun because a lot of times it gets it, it's it's very i mean of course baseball in general is just a serious game it's very analytical but at the same time these guys are having fun and that's great mm-hmm. to see so during your playing career, especially in in uh, Major League Baseball, was there a place that you absolutely enjoyed pitching at? Was it a place that you circled on the, the calendar mm-hmm. and said, "Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let, let's let's get the season going." Yeah, I don't know if I would circle it on the calendar necessarily, but there definitely were places that uh, I felt more comfortable than others. Uh, in the early years, I was very uncomfortable pitching in Toronto, uh, but really did enjoy pitching in a place like Seattle. You know, Seattle, I just, it's just a good mound. I don't know what it was. Air quality, a little bit different. There was something about how your body felt. I think the radar gun back in those days was a little hot. And so you might see a tick or two higher than you normally would. So that was kind of encouraging. That's going to make you feel good uh, every time as well. So I really did always go and enjoy going to Seattle, but really there's no, there's no bad ballparks, especially now. I mean, we've seen all the new ballparks that have, have gone up going back to gosh, when I first broke in in 1995 and how many stadiums are actually left. Uh, not nearly as many as, as you might imagine. So that's been a good thing for the game. So there's a lot of great ballparks. I would also say for me, you know, going back up to New York and as a kid who grew up in that area, uh, a sub- suburban kid, went to college in Queens, uh, it was always a blast to go play the New York Yankees or to play the New York Mets. Uh, I got to play for both of those teams briefly, which was was kind of cool as well. I mean, I love uh, living down south now and have been for, gosh, probably pushing 25, uh, 26 years. But growing up there uh, as a kid, and that's where I fell in love with baseball, uh, it, it was always a, a, a fun time. I never performed particularly well in Yankee Stadium, but uh, it was an absolute treat. You think about you know all the dreams that all of us have as kids and wanting to play Major League Baseball and going to games maybe with a parent and the idea that I would go to Yankee games as a kid in that old Yankee Stadium and then eventually get to compete against the Yankees and then put that uniform on um, is incredible, man, and I just feel really grateful that I got to do it. Oh, that's awesome to hear. It's always it's always great to hear you know different stories of different teams, especially when you have a good rivalry like the Yankees and Mets there uh, there in, in New York. So, um, I was listening to, to Loud Outs yesterday. I love love the show. I've been listening Thank for you. quite a while. Uh, one day I'll get the courage to call in and, and ask a question. <laughs> but <laughs> but well, you owe us uh, one now. Now you owe us a call. I, absolutely, absolutely. I will make sure to do that. But uh, you were talking about uh, the 1998 season when you were with the Astros, and that prompted this question here. Mm. The Astros went out and made that big time trade for Randy Johnson. How was it watching him, a future Hall of Famer? come out every fifth day and do the things that he did on the mound. How was that? How was that like from the dugout? Yeah, it was a pretty incredible. I mean, the whole thing was incredible, quite honestly, because obviously that was a really good team that we had in Houston in 1998. We went on to win 102 games, but it did feel like we were maybe missing uh, that one top of the rotation ace uh, that could go head to head with somebody else's ace in the postseason. Back then, the trading deadline used to end at midnight. Now it's a lot earlier, which makes a lot more sense. So it's not so crazy, but it was, it was midnight Eastern time. The clock had struck midnight and the Rangers, or excuse me, the Astros had not made a trade. And so we kind of made the assumption that nothing had gotten done. Now this is, there was internet existed, but not nearly to the level. There was certainly no social media and we didn't have information flowing the way that we do now. And essentially trades being announced by insiders before they actually are announced by teams. Um, and so it was a much slower process. So it was about maybe about 12.05, 12.06. All of a sudden, we find out that we had gotten Randy Johnson. Uh, that was really an exciting moment, uh, no doubt, for a team that was already good, but looking for that one 
extra piece. Then, of course, he comes and he absolutely dominates in an Astro uniform. 11 starts for him. He goes 10 and 1 uh, with a 1.28 ERA. And while he had pitched in the National League previously with the Montreal Expos, that's where he started his career, he hadn't really been in the National League as this version of Randy Johnson yet. And the domination was just absolutely incredible. Of course, this is the days when pitchers were still hitting. There was no universal DH. The American League was looked at as a tougher league uh, to pitch in. It was it was incredible uh, to watch what he did in those 11 starts, winning uh, 10 of them. And then, of course, he went on to the Arizona Diamondbacks and won four straight Cy Young Awards after that. It was just uh, it was absolute nonsense what Randy Johnson was doing in his upper 30s and into his 40s. But that was a big boost for us at the time. Unfortunately, it didn't work out come postseason time as we did not advance. But he went head-to-head with Kevin Brown in a pretty epic matchup uh, early on in the postseason. And they got the arm that they want. The offense fell a little flat in that first round, and unfortunately, the season came to an end. But it was special having him. And fortunate to call him a teammate for a couple of months and i have a one little memento that he gave me um i'm a hack drummer he's a hack drummer he'd always have a a drum kit in seattle and in different places and um he had given me a pair of randy johnson drumsticks uh, that somebody had made from him uh, for him um, from promark and i and i still have them got them you know 1998 so it was a long time ago but it's wow. a cool little memento from uh, my time that i got to spend with him that's awesome. That's awesome here. He was such a, a dynamic pitcher. And then I mean, he throws, throws that no, that no hitter against the Braves. I don't remember if it was perfect like game. Perfect Not only game, that, yes. I was there for that one because I was in the Braves bullpen at the time in 2004. And uh, it was, you know, it's one of those things that I've, you know, I've watched history a couple of different times over the course of my career. Uh, I was in the Astro bullpen when Kerry Wood struck out 20 against us. I was in the uh, Tigers bullpen when Roger Clemens struck out 20 in 1996 actually pitched uh, in relief in that game and so you see some things along the way Eddie Murray hit his 500th home run against us when I was in Detroit and you sit back sometimes when you're an opponent and you kind of like seeing those things I will tell you <laughs> at the time we really did not want to see Randy Johnson throw a perfect game because the Braves were scuffling offensively couldn't really get it going and even though that's a really special uh, moment and you don't see it very often in our game's history uh, he dominated. It was special to watch, but I remember thinking at the time, now nah, this is not right. We don't need this right now. Uh, the Braves were scuffling. Of course, they went on to uh, win that division in 2004, but the timing wasn't great. Uh, but they bounced back pretty well, and what he did that night uh, in Atlanta was pretty special. Uh, that's awesome. It's hard not to be a fan when you're there pitching you know, professionally and you have a job to do, and you see all these great players go through and just continue to hit milestone after milestone after milestone. Mm -hmm. So it's... Uh, I guess that's that's what makes baseball so great, you know, for love of the game. Uh, to just reference Kevin Costner there, and um, that's right. You know, so, but uh, one final question here before we jump into the Texas Rangers: uh, Who was the one player that you absolutely just every time they came up to the plate, you were like, "Oh man, I got to face him." <laughs> it's you know whatever the situation is, it's like, okay, I can, can we just get out of this inning? Well, who was there a? player or was there a couple players i mean there definitely was more than one i had a unique kind of a relationship in the sense of competing against carlos uh, delgado and the thing with him was i know i got him out quite a few times but i also let up four home runs against him in my career the most of any guy that i faced i believe he's he's five for he might be five for 15 something like that the other only non-home run hit was actually i still contend should have been ruled an errors hard hit ground ball at the second baseman went off his glove and and didn't field it so i say even though he does have the single that he only hit home runs against me he was tough <laughs> i did get him out a couple of times i believe i struck him out a couple of times but you know four home runs tremendous power to all fields too that's what made him so difficult he's pulled home runs against me he went to the opposite field against me you know when you're a lefty specialist back in the day when you could have a lefty specialist where you're coming in and maybe only facing a hitter or two um mm -hmm. to have one guy hit four home runs against you 
uh, certainly is problematic. Tino Martinez, Garrett Anderson were a couple of other tough lefties that I had. I think their swings in particular just didn't play well for me, which is interesting. Like those three names and those are all three really good players, but guys like you know Jim Tomey, Ken Griffey Jr. were not a problem for me. Uh, but the other guys were, and so you just match up differently, event, you know, against different guys. But there's a couple of Hall of Famers that I was, I felt like I was pretty good against and didn't mind facing. Uh, but then there were a couple of good players again, certainly not a knock on any of those guys, but not Hall of Famers, very good players in their careers that I absolutely just had a really difficult time with. But those three in particular, Garrett Anderson, uh, Tito Martinez, and uh, Carlos Delgado were probably the toughest. Oh wow. That's just crazy. It's just, I mean, lots of great players obviously have come through this game and all are, are have their their equal uh, you know, attributes to the game. So that's but that's great to hear. So, all right, let's talk about the Texas Rangers now. So we can sit here. I can I can ask you so many questions about your playing career, and then we'd be like two hours into this podcast, and then you know, and most people even... probably would tune out. <laughs> so, uh, but let's talk about the Texas Rangers. Um, so right now they are sitting at uh, 40. 41 and 25 currently first place in the AOS. Did you ever think at this juncture of the season, here we are June 14th, that the Texas Rangers would be in first place leading the Astros that have dominated the, the division for so long at leading them at three and a half games. Would you ever th have thought that this is where the Rangers would be at this point in the season? I think we all thought it could be possible. Part of that would have been the Astros maybe not playing their best baseball, which we have, I don't think we've seen from them yet, right, as they deal with some injuries right now. I think the combination of those two things uh, could have put the Rangers in a position that they're in now, and it's kind of how it's played out. It's been interesting, though, to see, of course, some of the struggles for the Rangers with injuries as well now catching up with them on the pitching side. Uh, obviously, Jacob DeGrom, as we know, uh, the Tommy John surgery announced. If you told me that Jacob DeGrom was not going to pitch uh, and out of a start past April and have to have season-ending surgery and that the Rangers would still be in first place, that I think probably would surprise me a little bit. And that's because the other guys have stepped up in a really big way. Uh, Nate Valdi has been uh, terrific. John Gray is dealing with a blister right now, but he has been really good, especially here lately. Andrew Heaney, Martin Perez, Dane Dunning have all filled in uh, really nicely to round out the rotation. So I think the Dane Dunning component has probably been the biggest surprise how good he's been compared to where he was a year ago and sliding in that DeGrom spot and, and just doing some excellent work uh, over that time. But perhaps the biggest surprise is not that the offense is good, but how good they have been. This has been a really deep lineup. I think everyone expected Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon to be better this year, right? They both got off the slow starts last year, and I thought they had you know good reasons for it. CBA lockout last year, short in spring training. They sign big deals. They go to a new team. You know, they're really nice, kind of relatively quiet guys. There's an adjustment period there. They got rushed, and they just couldn't quite get their footing early on. We start to see it uh, toward the end of the year. I mean, Corey Seager set a career high in home runs last year, his first with the Rangers. But I think the way the season started for both him and Marcus, a little bit slower. And so the expectations are were higher on them. They have met those and then some so far uh, this year. But the big surprise has been what's happening at the bottom of the um, uh, bottom of the lineup. And that is uh, guys like Ezekiel Duran. Um, who's been just terrific and at times filling in for Corey Seager. That's been a really nice piece. Leody Tavares seems to have taken a next uh, big step. Jonah Heim, even better than he was a year ago. And so you start to go up and down the line. Mitch Garver is back. Robbie Grossman's been a really uh, nice ad. Not just the ones that we expected to do well. Those first four or five hitters, Josh Young as a legitimate rookie of the year candidate, and has been terrific. The depth of the lineup has been probably the biggest surprise to the degree that they're doing it. Not to say that anybody didn't think they could, but to have them clicking on all cylinders the way they have been, that's been maybe the biggest surprise of the year. And I think that's why they're in the position they're in. 
it's been a fun to watch this this Rangers team. And you mentioned Dane Dunning and, and, and Josh Young, and I kind of you kind of touched on Josh Young uh, on for rookie of the year. And uh, I was going to ask that, but yeah. uh, I think I think he's going to be a legitimate rookie of the year candidate. I think mm -hmm. he's got a very viable shot. When especially when we just look at at his stats right now, and I'm just pulling this stuff on off of fan graphs right now. I mean, he's batting what 284, got 13 home runs. Uh, I mean, his his OPS is is phenomenal right now yeah. at 838 uh, and 272 plate appearances. I mean, the guy and I had a chance to interview uh, Josh Young when he was just called up to Round Rock, and very humble, very nice guy, very down to earth. He's very he, you know that he's uh, appreciates the the game of baseball and and so um mm -hmm. uh, I, he's I fascinating yes yeah. he's, he's yeah. a fascinating guy i'll tell you this you know we of course were waiting for his arrival for a while after being a first round pick and then injuries and covid and things had kind of gotten in the way and slowed him down a little bit and I, i'd watch a little bit kind of keep an eye on the numbers when he was out there and healthy but it just hadn't been uh, all that healthy and so you started to wonder you know what's what's going to be of this guy's career then he gets to the big leagues last year and you see some positive things, but there were some things that also I think were, uh, I don't say alarming, but you're like, oh, i got to keep an eye on that swing and miss rate and the strikeout rate. And I watched him play defense, and I thought I was okay you know, defensively at third base. All of those things that you might have been even concerned about a little bit last year all went away. His defense has been phenomenal. He looks so much lighter on his feet and his ability to move both ways. He made a terrific play uh, last night, which was the second game of the four-game series uh, with the Angels where he just went full extension. And he just he looks so much different than he did a year ago. Maybe it's comfort level. Maybe it was some work that he'd done. Maybe it's all of those things combined. But I would tell you that the, maybe one of the bigger surprises is how excellent he has been uh, defensively over at third base. That part has been really nice. He's cut down on the strikeouts and the chase. He's made the adjustments that you look for in year two very quickly, very often, you know, we will talk about uh, hitters that maybe come and they get off to a good start or they see just big league pitching for the first time. And you start to wonder, okay, can they make now the necessary adjustment that it's going to take to be a, a consistent everyday big leaguer? He's done that. And then some, and he looks comfortable and he's in a great lineup. And I don't think that necessarily makes it any easier. We we're having this conversation last night on the broadcast and you say, okay, well, you know, a deep lineup is great and other guys are getting it done. Do you feel more pressure to keep up? Right. And all of a sudden that can lock you up a little bit. Or are you more relaxed because the other guys are carrying the heavy load and that allows you to kind of, you know, maybe go do some great work either way. Uh, Josh Young has always seemed like he's been a guy that understands the mental game and has that a good grasp on it. Not that you ever have it beat, but he's got a good grasp on it. Uh, we've seen all those things kind of come together. And, and I got to tell you, he's been there's been a couple of big surprises, but the level at which he's performing this level is a big surprise to me. and It's great to see. It's definitely going to be fun to watch him as we enter that second half of the season after the all-star break and kind of see where he's at uh, both you know, physically, mentally, and how his game continues to progress. Uh, you mentioned Dane Dunning, mm -hmm. especially with Jacob DeGrom going down with, with Tommy John, you mentioned Dar John Gray and his blister. So Dane Dunning has come on at least in this rotation and kind of stepped in a very big way, five and one with the 276 ERA. And that's in uh, 15 games that he's appeared. He's got uh, strikeouts, 36 strikeouts is, I mean, opponent average 236. Has is Dane Dunning forcing the Texas Rangers, and this is just my opinion, forcing mm -hmm. the Texas Rangers to maybe jump into a six-man rotation? You know, it's a good question because of the injury history of everybody else, right? And you think about Nate Evaldi, Andrew Heaney have all missed time. John Gray missed time last year. No arm injuries, but he missed time, three different IL stints. And so you think about, okay, well, if guys didn't pitch a full season last year, what should you expect from them? 
this year. Is it fair to ask a guy who, say, made 18 starts last year to make 32 this year? That's, that's asking a lot, plus the postseason on top of it, potentially. Of course, you got to get there, but the Rangers are in a pretty good spot. Uh, and if they play well, they should be there, unless they have a, just an epic collapse. And I don't even want to think about that or talk about <laughs> that. That's the possibility. So it's not a bad idea. It hasn't come up here. Now, the question becomes, if you can go to a six-man, who is your sixth starter? Do you have the depth to be able to do that right now? What they have done, and they did this last night, and they've done it a couple of times, is they brought up Cody Bradford to kind of make a spot start and then send him right back down. So he'd come in, he'd make a start, and that would give everybody an extra day. Then maybe another time or two through the rotation, he'd come back again, make a start. That gives everybody a day. Now, the start that he made uh, last night, which was on Tuesday, game two of that series against uh, the Angels at Globe Life Field, that to me was probably more about John Gray having to get pushed back because of the blister that he's dealing with right now. He's not officially on the IL. Hopefully, he doesn't have to go on the IL. He said he's hoping to, to throw a bullpen tomorrow and then pitch in a game on Monday in Chicago. We'll see if that happens. But it's a, it's a great point, and I think it's a fair question. It's just a matter of whether or not the Rangers feel like they're in that spot and they're comfortable, say, giving Cody Bradford those starts. Glenn Otto was on his way back after um, starting the season on the injured list. He could be a candidate as well. But they lost Jake Odorizzi. You know, Jake Odorizzi, who I know Astro fans are uh, familiar with, was a guy that was supposed to be the sixth starter this year. Dane Dunning was basically going to be a guy in the minor leagues. Uh, but because of the way things have worked out, Odorizzi is out for the year. Jacob DeGrom is out for the year. And so Dane Dunning is now your uh, fifth starter. So it's a good question. I think the only other side to that conversation with him would be that he started the year in the bullpen and he was great, really great in the bullpen, slid into the rotation, didn't miss a beat. Where is his greatest value? The team right now is a little bit light on the bullpen side. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, but there's also great value in having him as a starter. I think that's probably the conversation that they are having with themselves and saying, you know, if we could somehow beef up the rotation, if there is a trade to be had, is this team better off? trading for a starter and putting Dane Dunning back in the bullpen. I know he'd probably be disappointed because he's done such a great job. But if you're thinking kind of team focused, just my thoughts, not necessarily theirs, that could be on the table as well. But I don't, I don't hate your six-man rotation idea uh, if you have the right piece to do it. Of course, what that does, though, it's one less arm you have in the bullpen. And you got to right. make sure that bullpen is, is in a really good position as well to be able to do that. With with this the stretch of injuries for the the rotation, the, the Rangers also called up Owen White. Is he going to fall into that similar line? Maybe make a spot start here or there, and then go back down to AAA and Round Rock. Maybe you know he's an interesting guy, right? He is their uh, fourth prospect, and I think what was he forty first or forty seventh overall in baseball, and so an arm that they definitely like. You know, he came in relief yesterday behind Cody Bradford. Cody Bradford made the spot start on three days rest. And I think that was kind of the plan that they almost think they were going to piggyback and they were going to try to split a bulk of the game. Um, looked pretty good early, ran into a little bit of trouble late, had a, a defensive blunder behind him and then a home run. And so he ended up allowing uh, three runs in his big league debut. But you could see the upside. You saw, I thought you could see the nerves a little bit on his face as well. And you got to give a guy an opportunity to work through that. I've wondered about him, again, just my own personal opinion. As this thing was kind of shaping out and it looked like the rotation was in a good place, could he help in the bullpen this year? Um, I don't know how they feel about it now. You know, it's not something he's done with any regularity. Uh, would they rather continue to stretch him out and let it be a starter? <clears throat> Excuse me. Or is there value in him being a, a one or two inning reliever where you can use him a little bit more? And when you're talking about trying to win, uh, and you kind of see he looks like he may have a little bit of that edge to him where it might work. You know, mentally you got to be the right guy, I think, to do that as well. Um, that could be on the table. So I, I'm not sure with them. I, you know, we saw yesterday where he's throwing that the fastball cutter and slider. I know that you know he calls it maybe a slider and then a sweeper, like the other sliders, a little bit slower. The algorithm had it popped up as a cutter. Um, with those three pitches, is that enough for him to be able to go through a lineup three times? I don't know. 
that to see it play out a little bit more against big league hitters. Um, but I think right now, based on what we saw last night, he absolutely could be a two inning reliever for you. Um, that might be the role for him going forward. I don't know. That's just my own personal speculation. Just depends on what best fits for the team. But I certainly like the arm. I think they like it as well. Uh, overall, a somewhat successful debut. He looked good early. Like I said, ran into trouble a little, little bit late. But I think he's a factor. One way or another, I think he's a factor in this uh, pitching staff this year. It's going to be interesting to see how everything kind of plays, plays out for the Rangers because when we look at this roster and the way this season has gone has been so successful for the Rangers, you've got to look at how the construction of the lineup was was built. And mm -hmm. that goes back to executive VP and general manager Chris Young. How has he been – he's been so instrumental to this organization. How has he been able to do this? Because he brings in a Hall of Fame manager in Bruce Bochy to – uh, build this uh, this lineup and construct this lineup and put the the best nine players out on the the field. How is how has Chris Young been so at the forefront of this organization and building this team? How how has he been able to do it with the, with this much success so soon? Well, I think he was a natural fit, and I think the ownership group saw that right away. Right, John Daniels brought him in kind of as an assistant, and there was the history there. Uh, with, J with JD and, and CY knowing each other. And he kind of got the impression that, that JD was kind of mentoring him to maybe take over as the general manager. And I think a lot of us thought that John Daniels would slide into that president role, at which he had been anyway. What the ownership group, and again, just speculation on my part here, but I think what they saw is that, you know, JD had such an incredible run. This is a tough job to do for a long time. Um, and really liked what they saw from CY and Chris Young and said, you know what, let's let him take over and, and do this thing going forward. I think. Quite honestly, if CY would tell you, he was a little bit shocked by the whole thing. I don't think he expected to be kind of the guy uh, taking over as quickly as he did, but the ownership group saw something in him that they really liked. Uh, you know, it's, he's interesting because when you talk to him, he's, he's such a pleasant person to talk to, uh, but don't mistake that for any kind of lack of competitiveness. He is ultra competitive and wants to win. And so you get that really nice balance of a highly respected, uh, bright guy who played the game, who understands it, also understands the new age of the game as well. Now, now trickle in the uh, competitiveness that he has in that edge as well. And uh, he wants to win and he's got the intelligence and the smarts and the experience to do it. He also has the backing of our owners and the money that they've spent, right? Obviously they've gone out there and they've really dug deep into uh, this payroll and put a really strong roster together. And so, so far the moves have been great. I will say this, when you look at executives and those big moves, sometimes they're tough decisions to make, right? Do you give Jacob the ground five years? How far do you go on Evaldi and, and John Daniels more in charge of when uh, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager came over uh, with the Rangers, but those are really big decisions. The ones where I think you can start to separate yourself are the smaller decisions that you have to make, and those have worked out really well. That's bringing in Robbie Grossman late, very inexpensively. He's been an integral part of the lineup in kind of a platoon role. Will Smith, a really late sign. They signed him the first week of March. I know Astro fans certainly familiar um, with him. He has been fantastic. I will tell you that bullpen without him right now would be in a really bad place. That was a late sign and an inexpensive sign that has been really impactful. Those little things like that, that CY has done, I think for him, he has to be as proud of those as he is of Nate Ovaldi and what he's doing this year for the Texas Rangers because that takes a little bit more work. Anybody could have grabbed those guys very inexpensively. They saw a need, they saw a fit, they got it done, and it didn't, you didn't have to break the bank to do it, and they've been really impactful. I think that's the most impressive thing is not uh, giving up any sort of prospects or anything you know, big because you still have all these guys coming through the pipeline mm -hmm. that are sitting there in, in Round Rock or in Frisco. And these guys are continue, continuing to develop, and we're going to see these guys hopefully break it through into the big league soon and within the next couple of seasons. So, I mean, the Rangers are setting themselves up 
I mean, for success this season, obviously, from what we've yeah. seen, but also in the future as well and in seasons to come. It's a great when we look point. at this and yeah. we look at this at this lineup, and uh, this is a this is I pulled this up last night, so this probably has changed, but this is uh, a lineup that has scored 409 runs, which is leading the league mm-hmm. in uh, in runs scored. Uh, this is a team that averages at least 6.25 games uh, runs a game. Now that obviously that might have changed since from last night to today, but what have you seen just being there, uh, there in the booth watching this team? What makes this offense so powerful and able to put up so many runs that we've seen so far this season? So the discipline has been a big one for them, and that's kind of the Houston Astros stories as well. Uh, Astros story as well. If you go back to when they struggled and when they kind of turned the corner, they got a much more disciplined lineup that wasn't chasing as much, but could still do uh, damage. Adolis Garcia is probably the biggest example of that in this Rangers lineup right now. That was his goal going in. He skipped the WBC to work on the things he wanted to work on in spring training. I think we're all very grateful uh, for that because he did a really nice job of kind of toning down that chase, and he was very aggressive. Um, and still being able to do damage. Now, the trade-off there is you're going to take a few more strikes in the process um, while you're trying to be patient, but I think that's a good trade-off and one that's worked uh, well for him. And so he hasn't been the only one, but he is the one that has stuck out uh, the most. So I think when you talk about this offense and what has gone so well, uh, the example of Adolis Garcia is a much more patient hitter without giving up the pop. He's also a guy that is just made for the big moment. He loves them. It's just you know, there are certain <laughs> yeah. guys you can see it. And when it matters more, there's like this extra uh, level that he can get to, and he eats it up, and it comes through more often than not. So he's been a really big piece in his adjustments that he's made from a year ago. But I go back to the depth, and the depth of the lineup has been probably – uh, the biggest thing that has made such a difference. The reason they're scoring as many runs as they are. It's not often that you're going to have a leadoff hitter uh, with as many RBIs as you get from Marcus Simeon, right? I mean, and that's why, because the opportunities are there with the guys that are batting in front of him. And that means Leody Tavares and Ezekiel Duran uh, near the bottom. He's driven in 51 runners this year, uh, which is crazy as a leadoff hitter. And we're not even halfway through the season. I mean, he's on pace for a hundred RBI season from the leadoff spot. Uh, that just doesn't happen in our game. And so I think that's part of it as well. Uh, Marcus Simeon uh, coming through what this team has done with runners in scoring position um, has been crazy, probably unsustainable, quite honestly. I mean, that's how good it has been. The numbers have been so high. There's multiple players that are hitting better than 400 with runners in scoring position. So that'll come back down here a little bit. We've seen it over the last uh, couple of games, but that's been a big part of the reason of why this offense has been as good as they have been so far, but it's depth of lineup. And that's the nice thing about it is that even when Corey Seager had to miss some time, uh, you really didn't miss a beat because Ezekiel Duran slid uh, right in. And same thing on the pitching side. There's a similar story there. When DeGrom went down, Dane Dunning slides in, you feel like you don't uh, miss a beat. The other guy real quick that they've gotten some really nice production out of, and he's done it very quietly is Travis Jankowski. And Travis Jankowski was a non-roster invite into camp. And this is kind of a crazy story. The regular spring training ended. The Rangers had a couple of games against the Kansas City Royals at Globe Life Field, you know, those exhibition games before you start the season. When they got to um, when they got to Globe Life Field for those two games, they told Travis Jankowski he did not make the team. And then from that point, when you're a veteran, you have the option, right? You can then, you know, kind of leave, take your release, maybe try to go somewhere else. By the time that series was over, they realized, you know what? Leody Tavares is actually not going to be ready. He was dealing with an injury. You did make the team. Right, so we had this emotion of how you didn't make the team. <laughs> Never mind, you actually did make the team. And all he's done is played unbelievably well. He's hitting 293. He's getting on base right now, 375 uh, is that on base percentage. He doesn't play every day, uh, but you can slide him right in center field. You don't miss a beat 
uh, defensively. He's a, a great runner, a great pinch runner. He robbed a home run, made just an incredible catch at Globe Life Field about a week or so ago. Um, and it's just been that's been another kind of when I talked about those signings that were low risk and late, mm-hmm. didn't cost a lot of money. A guy like Travis Jankowski is another one. So everyone knows the big names, but it's all those other little pieces uh, that have contributed that have made such a difference and why this offense has been so good. Uh, it just goes to show how much a, a balanced roster will do yeah. wonders for, for your team and, and the success that we've seen so far. So let's go on and kind of just kind of round out the Rangers here. Let's go. Let's kind of fast track a little bit. All-star games happened. We're entering July. Trade deadline's coming up. Where do you see the Rangers needing to fill some holes? And are there any possibilities of any players that you might see the Rangers go and, and try to make a run at? So I think bullpen will probably be their focus, although they may add a starting pitcher. I mean, a lot can happen between now and then. Hopefully everybody else stays healthy. God forbid anybody were to get hurt in the rotation, then I think you definitely have to add uh, from the outside. But I do think the bullpen probably is going to be the focus. As it sits right now, I think your offense and your lineup is in a really good position. I don't think there's necessarily any ads that you would uh, be looking uh, to make in that regard. And so the arms in the bullpen, and we'll see how some of these teams that are struggling uh, start to do. I know the uh, you know as, as you know you got the the issue we run into here. You got the teams that you know are out of it, right? The Kansas City Royals or Aldis Chapman is a name uh, that has come up, right? So there, there's a spot that you could look and say, would that be a good arm to fit uh, with the Texas Rangers? Those rumors have been out there for a while now. The asking price is going to be too high. What we have to wait on is those borderline teams, right? So we got a couple of things here. We have a expanded postseason. We're going to get six teams from each league that are going to go to the postseason. So that means more teams are going to be on the fence as we get closer to the deadline. Those fence teams uh, that we see right now, what are they looking like as we get closer to the deadline? Can they actually subtract? Will they be willing to let go of a reliever if they have this outside chance of making the postseason? Obviously, fans wouldn't be too happy about it, but we've seen contenders uh, do it before. I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers did it in a really big way, which is pretty unbelievable to watch with Josh Hader while they were contending. Now, it didn't work out well for them, and I think they realized they probably – had made a mistake, um, but that part is kind of interesting, I think, to see there. So uh, bullpen help, where they go is kind of still TBD because I think we have to get a real good, clear picture of what it's going to look like. No doubt that the Rangers are already doing their homework and looking around and anticipating and maybe checking in. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. They're in a good spot right now because the uh, farm system is in great shape and there's a lot of great pieces down there that teams would like to get their hands on. And so now it's about striking that balance. I do think there's a good opportunity for some help from within. For the bullpen, I mentioned Owen White. We'll see what that looks like. I wonder about Glenn Otto. I know they're stretching him out and probably have him as a starter, but I think he could be a potential guy that could help out in the bullpen as well. But I think if this team, if you're trying to be objective and looking at it and saying, you know, what's their best chance of getting a, a deep postseason run, they probably need to add to the bullpen and, and I would say maybe at least two arms. Yeah, uh, bullpen, as we saw last season uh, in, in, the, in the playoffs, uh, that uh, your bullpen is what can carry you mm-hmm. uh, to a World Series. And uh, when you've got the good depth and you've got the arms to do it, you know, great things will come. So uh, a few more real quick, just a couple more. What are your thoughts on the possibility of, and October's here, we're, we're in the playoffs, mm-hmm. of a Astros-Rangers ALCS? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. You know, the the wave and how things have gone over the last decade or so have been kind of fascinating, right? You had that run where the Astros were bad and the Rangers just beat them up for days. And then, of course, that script was completely flipped. And then it was the Astros turn to lay it on the Rangers uh, for a while. It's a fun rivalry for sure. I enjoy it. There's not too many, I think, strong ones in the game. But I do think that at least among the fan bases, uh, the disdain is real. 
Um, you know, we're, we're polite, but we like to get after it a little bit. And uh, hopefully the Rangers are in a position where maybe it'll be their turn. Uh, that would be amazing, though. And the Astros are a good team. And even though they're dealing with some injuries, you just you can never underestimate them. They have the experience. They have the depth of roster. They're doing a nice job getting production from some starters that maybe they were not anticipating were going to be in that rotation. Um, you know, it's I will t- I think it, and I can't speak for all Ranger fans. I'm, it's not fair to do that. But I think there's also that part of them, while potentially beating the Astros in the ALCS would be a treat. <laughs> They'd love it. It'd be great. I also think everyone would feel a little bit better if they weren't there. Quite honestly, just like <laughs> you just like you prefer not to deal with it because you know how good they are and you've seen what they have done. I will say the one upside here, not the one upside, but I think something that was important for the Rangers, that first series at Minute Maid this year, uh, that they won it, right? They took two out of three. They want to start uh, Fran Rivaldez. I thought that was really important um, because they haven't won down there. It's been a real problem over the last five or six years. I mean, this is my seventh year now doing Ranger games in my first year here. And I know some people want to maybe blame me, but they can't. That's when the team started kind of going in the other direction, right? Of course, postseason appearances <laughs> leading up to that. My first year in 2017, they haven't seen the postseason since they've been under 500 um, every year, but it's never the broadcaster's fault. Um, but with that being said, it's been, it's been tough to watch. It's been tough going into Houston. You have to wear it because it's been a good team. Um, it would be amazing. Um, but it's funny. I don't even play anymore, but it makes me nervous because I know how good the Astros are and it would hurt so much to lose that series. And so, um, (laughs) I would enjoy it only if you can guarantee me a Rangers win. Right. There you go. There you go. It'll it'll be fun either way. Good Lone Star, uh, Lone Star showdown or whatever you want to call it. Silver boot series here in Texas. But, uh, last one, what is your favorite ballpark mural there at globe Life field Ooh, that's a good one there and i don't know the names of them all but there's that one that is on the broadcast level so if you were in the ballpark you'd be all the way at the top and you would be essentially probably right above first base um and i, I should know these are the kind of things i probably should know dave raymond our play-by-play <laughs> guy knows the details that's why it's nice working with a guy from stanford is really smart i can't remember anything <laughs> but they do a, it's, it's a, basically the history of the rangers and it's an amazing painting by an amazing artist it's so well done um, and they've done really great work. The ballpark's beautiful. It's really nice to go to work every day um, here in Arlington. And you almost hate going on the road because it's so fun working at home. Um, but they, they've done some really nice work. But I don't know the name of it. You're going to get me in trouble for not knowing it. But it is, it's a beautiful – I love walking by, especially you know when COVID was here and there were no fans. And we were calling games from the ballpark even when the team was on the road. Um, and it was the first year of the ballpark, unfortunately, and some bad timing, some bad luck there. I would just walk around the ballpark and it'd be empty. And they were just finishing up that mural. So I saw it all the time. I try to get my steps in before a game. It just takes, you know, take some laps around the ballpark. And it was just, you know, completely silent and empty with the team on the road. Um, and I'd always pass by that mural and stop a little while and look at it and just be in awe of the great work. Gosh, that's, I mean, just being able to go to the ballpark every day is is fascinating with, within itself. Then you go and you're, you're broadcasting the games, but then you're there in, in the, the stadium before it, uh, the fans arrive. It's yeah. kind of like, almost like a, you know, when people go to the beach it's so tranquil and and then you, you mm. go you're at the ballpark and it's like okay this is this is a a beautiful facility that we have and you get to watch baseball get to talk baseball and it's it's uh i'm grateful I'm man. Sh- it's funny you say that yesterday yesterday uh, i did my radio show from there so i was there early it's on um one to four central time and so i was at the ballpark pretty early no one was there and then some storms were rolling in so the ballpark was empty it was quiet it was really dark outside, but it was the middle of the day, and I was having those exact thoughts that you were talking about. I'm like, wow, it's almost eerie. I'm sitting in this beautiful, big 
uh, baseball stadium and yet it's really quiet and there's a big storm outside and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I get to do this for a living. And I, like I said, like everybody else, I love baseball as a kid and, and grateful that I got to play it. And as far as I'm concerned, I think this is the second best job in baseball. I know some people are, are born to coach and there's that passion mm -hmm. there or being the front office. Uh, I'm neither one of those. And so I uh, just count my blessings and I'm grateful every day I get to go to work. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. CJ, I thank you so much for coming on, talking Rangers baseball with me. It's been a blast. And I'm excited to see what this Rangers team will continue to do the rest of the season going into the All-Star break and then the second half because it's going to be fun to watch. And we look at this lineup that's been constructed very well. We look at the rotation, the bullpen that you mentioned, all these key pieces that have gelled together so nicely that have the Rangers leading the AOS which is weird to say, mm. given the, the, the pattern at the top. And now they're, you can see why, because they put so much into, I mean, the front office, they put so much into this team. This ownership has been super supportive and wanting to build a championship contender there in Arlington. And uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come out and, and, and talk with me about Rangers baseball. Of course, Rip. It was my pleasure, man, and enjoyed it as well. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll get that ALCS we're talking about. <laughs> that'd be fun to watch though real quick give everybody a plug where, where can they follow you and uh where can they listen to your uh radio show so yeah i do the loud outs radio show which is as i mentioned usually on one to four central time on mlb network radio that's sirius xm channel 89 uh ryan spielborgs and i i don't do that show every day between me ryan spielborgs brad lidge uh, sometimes Kevin Franz and Chris Jimenez. We try to do kind of a former player show. Jensen Lewis is in that group um, as well. But that show is on five days a week. I usually do, on average, about three of those. I think I'm doing three this week and four uh, next week. Ryan Spielborgs and I also uh, do a podcast because we don't get to work together as much as we would like to. So we do a podcast a couple of days a week as well. That's also called uh, Loud Outs, wherever you get your podcasts, of course. A lot of fun. And then I do about 105 Ranger games per year on uh, Bally Sports Southwest, and uh, 10 of those are play-by-play, -play, and I always ask people to be uh, patient during that time because Dave needs a little <laughs> bit of a break. Um, but, yeah, and I, uh, so I'm there about two-thirds of the year uh, calling Ranger games as well. But uh, always busy, uh, but grateful to be busy during the baseball season. Uh, it's fascinating. Glad to hear it. And, uh, you know, it's good to have that you have that, that banter back and forth with uh, there in, in the radio booth, so in the uh, broadcast booth. So, uh, But, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time it's been great i'm looking forward to see what the rangers can do so um, that's going to do it for this episode guys be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast apple google spotify if you have any questions be sure to call into the show that number is 210-263-3253 you can get your voicemails or your questions answered on the air talking all things baseball related here in the state of texas so that's gonna do it for this episode guys take care